You're listening to Cadence, a podcast for creatives. I'm Hafsa. Hi, and I'm Yen. And if you're new to the podcast, Cadence is a conversation around topics that we wish we'd been more informed on uh, when we first started out in our career paths. The hope is to arm you, the listener, with some takes and tips that might be of service as you venture out on your own unique path and just to have a fun conversation. Thank you for spending some time this morning with us, Donald. Um, I think we're really excited to kind of dig into the topic um, of how to manage clients and everything related to that with you. Um, A little bit of background on Donald. He started Seven Cylinder Studio in 2012 and currently serves as lead producer and director working on client projects in all aspects of production, strategy, and outreach. Uh, He's also an independent filmmaker who has produced and directed the feature documentary Welcome to Kami High, a classic, as well as several short films that have screened nationally. He's taught film and video courses at the University of Michigan, Eastern Michigan University, and the Neutral Zone in Ann Arbor. He's also served as the executive director of the Ann Arbor Film Festival from 2008 to 2012 expanding the organization's audience, outreach, donors, sponsors, and staff through its historic 50th season. He's also worked and studied at Film Arts Foundation in San Francisco 2001 through 2006 and received a BA in social psychology from the University of Michigan uh, as he's also co-chair and uh, co-founder of the independent film festival Ypsilanti. So just a few things there, Donald. Nice intro. Thanks, Hafsa. (laughs) That was a great bio. I just yeah. learned more about Donald than I have in years being your neighbor. <laughs> thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me here. So we like to kick things off by starting with the struggles and the pitfalls. As, as every artist and creative loves to do, we like to chat about the friction uh, that has that our professions have brought and and presented us. But also we love to present how we've overcome these challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, Thinking about the term client versus collaborator, mm because this is something that I have, you know, personally I do a lot kind of in my own work. I can't remember where I first heard someone sort of talking about the distinction between, you know, thinking of, you know, the people that you work with as clients versus you know, say a creative partner or a collaborator. Um, And for me, I love using the term collaborator just because it feels more personal. It feels more like, you know, you're not just on one side of a business contract. You're actively in a partnership working towards something specific. Obviously, it's for the business goals of, you know, an individual person. But by coming into more of a partnership with that person, you're able to more, you know, kind of immerse yourself into the work, understand the mission, the vision, and hopefully produce something that's a bit more authentic. But yeah, t- to the point of being, you know, just kind of pedantic about it, I should I should actually <laughs> know how to articulate that word a little bit better. Um, yeah, I was just kind of curious. Does that make sense to you guys? Is that like, a, am I just overthinking terminology? <laughs> No, I think that you nailed it. I I mean, to the point that you would like to be able to call somebody a collaborator, I think that there are times when certainly you don't want the client-collaborator relationship to feel transactional. But I think it all depends on the the timbre of the relationship, too. Like some people, you're just never going to break down the wall. Um, and it is going to feel very much like a client relationship. They ask mm. you for things in list form or they say things like, 
her the last email or, you know, it's it's like, let me talk to my colleague and get back to you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's very true. So I'm always hoping that we can break past that. But I don't always feel like that's the case. And I think it's just on a person by person basis. Yeah, I think that um, that the longer I do this kind of work, that I produce video client work and work in so many different industries and organizations and dynamics, the more I find myself thinking about everything as a case by case situation based on the relationship, those internal dynamics. And I draw more and more on my psychology background that I, you know, in your, in the bio that really I think is important because for me to truly deliver a great, you know, video product deliverable, whatever it is we set out to do, the reason that we're having this client, um, contract relationship is to produce that, but to get there is really so dependent on understanding their mission, Mm -hmm. understanding their own dynamics, uh, trying to see their blind spots and help them through them without pointing them out to them in a way that's going to make them feel bad. So, so much of, of the work that I do, the longer I do it, I find myself drawing on elements of maybe at times I feel a little bit like a therapist. I'm definitely a consultant (laughs) in many ways, strategist. And it really depends on what they have and don't have and sort of what their situation is. Because for me, a lot of our clients aren't big corporations. They don't have marketing departments. They don't have all these specialists. And so oftentimes I might be the most uh, advanced marketing person that they're talking to or one of. And so that's a different relationship than when I do work with those bigger companies that have a marketing team that knows things that I don't, I don't have any understanding of. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it really is, um, it's the nuance. It's the nuance. And, and I think Hasa thinking about your client as a collaborator, it, to me, it, it is like a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, there's, always an aspect of it. And then there's degrees. And some of my clients, I just, I can tell they're, they're like a co-producer mm. and I think of them that way. Yeah, yeah. And they really serve in the way that a co-producer on the video would and does. And then other clients, they don't know what we do. They <laughs> sometimes don't want to know what we do. Oftentimes we're educating uh, our clients. And I think that's something we value and I think a lot of our clients come back to us because they they learn. Mm-hmm. They like to understand how to how to make an effective video. I really I like that point about education too. I think that's something that, you know, if you're moving into the design field or the creative field and you're looking to take on clients, you don't necessarily know that education is kind of a component of what you'll need to do with a client, you know, sometimes where where the client is really coming to you for your expertise and for your knowledge and, you know, whatever it is they're doing and trying to find a, make a video, they're trying to make a, a pamphlet or a book or whatever. They're looking for your expertise on that. And so you sort of unexpectedly step into this sort of educator role where it's like, this is the process of getting from point A to point B. And this is how we'll do it. This is how we'll work together. And, you know, hopefully you you teach them something in the process of that. But I, that that's something I I didn't know when I first went into freelancing and I found myself having to do it. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I didn't realize I had to, you know, really explain things a little bit more to people. I I thought they would just sort of get it because they're asking for this product from me. So it's, it's, it's good to keep in mind if you're, if you're starting out and you're new to it. 
Yeah, I feel like we should all go get psychology degrees now so that Actually, we can better understand pick the our clients and each other. Absolutely. I mean, the education component is so important because the over ask or under ask is a thing where a client can come back and say, oh, by the way, you can do film and video. Can you also do mm. voiceovers? Can you also do this and that and this and that? And it's, yeah, it's walking that line of, of boundaries as well. That's why we love to have creative friends that we refer people to when our client asks us if we'll, we can do a podcast for them, which has become a popular request. <laughs> and, you know, photography, which is not something we offer. Mm -hmm. We're not, at least I'm not a photographer, but it, it is great to have that network. And I think most people in the creative profession develop that over time. Mm -hmm. The people that you know are really good at graphic recording or, you know, somebody that I need animation. I have people that I recommend if it's not something we want to then subcontract out. Mm -hmm. And those are sometimes there are those clients and those projects where we have to decide, oh, do we want to take this on, then subcontract it out? Do we think we're going to add enough value to that? Or is it better just to direct them right. and refer them to somebody and they and we stay out of it? For our listeners that are a little more green, could you tell us, tell us the difference between a contract and a subcontract with somebody? Like, what is that process, if you had to sum it up? Sure. Yeah. I'd say for us, you know, we're we're almost always a contractor, right? So somebody wants a video. We just finished a commercial, a 30 second commercial for a, you know, a nonprofit. And, um, and we talked to, so we, you know, we negotiate a, a contract and then they wanted it animated. And so at that point we had to decide, are we going to, can we do that ourselves internally with our own crew or do we need to bring in somebody that we contract to do a piece of that or a part of that. And so it's, you know, daisy chaining. Mm. Um, we actually were a subcontractor mm. ourselves. So if we had mm. brought in an animator on a subcontract, it would have been the third <laughs> contract in that project, possibly the fourth. I mean, some projects get really yeah. convoluted. And if you're the the main point person, if you're the one with the the big contract, uh, you know, good luck. It starts to get pretty complicated in, in terms of just bookkeeping and all the all mm. the really exciting things that I'm sure us creatives, yeah. you know, love the most. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's I, I can't imagine for a person starting out what that what this process must sound like to them. Mm. How do you do you remember in the early days, did you set out to say, I'm a filmmaker? And this is how I get a client. Did you have a path or a process for that? Oh, it's, yeah, it's a good question. I've, I've sort of come back uh, and forth between being a filmmaker and thinking of myself in that way when I 20 some years ago, 22 years ago, early 2000s out in California, I started taking classes and I wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure how that would be a living or how I would, mm -hmm. I wasn't going after clients at that point. I was learning and I was doing the, uh, you know, the, the ambitious folly of trying to make, you know, an Oscar nominated documentary <laughs> yeah. that, you know, that somehow I would, I would just make it on my own time and my own funds. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in the world of raising money and, mm. and doing it like a business. Like, um, you know, I understand now 20 some years later. And so 
I think in terms of truly freelancing 11 years ago, when I, you know, stepped down from running the Ann Arbor Film Fest, at that point, I had to figure it out because I was determined to make a living mm. purely as an independent video producer, freelancer. And yeah, it, it, uh, you know, started off taking whatever I could to pay the bills. Mm. Um, and then from there, you know, I think, I think like a lot of things, it's, um, you figure out as you go. And if you can find people and tools that can help you jump some steps and accelerate that all the better. And so if podcasts like this and knowing people like the two of you, uh, I think those are great opportunities and resources. I definitely had some creative friends who shared things like our friend Lynette, she would share, you know, a tool she was using and I'm still using some of those tools today, <laughs> seven, eight, nine years later. And so, yeah, I think like anything, surrounding yourself with good people and trying to just figure out, well, what what is, wh where am I at now? What is my process? Do I even have one? Because if I don't, we'll try to articulate one and then and then learn and build. I mean, I'm always learning. I'm pretty experienced at this point and I feel like... I'm still just learning how the hell to do this kind of work <laughs> all the time. And so it feels very fresh. I feel like I have so much more to learn to be good at what I do, even though I know so much and I think I'm relatively good at what I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're really good at what you do. Okay. I mean, I've been on the client side at the school district, or my colleague was your client. And then you've worked with our students uh, during some of our grant projects. And I, I'm always enamored with the way that you treat every mm -hmm. project with the same dignity and just elevation. Like the kids felt no different than anybody that was a paying client to you, and you made them feel so special. Um, and what is the the thing that you... The, the I call it the clacker. That's not technical. <laughs> no, it, um, it, it's close. Yeah, the slate oh, or the, the, the slate. clapboard. Okay, yeah. thank you uh, <laughs> for not making fun of me. But mm. I mean, those little details where you allow the students to work on the set with mm. you made all the difference, and it just builds a great rapport mm -hmm. on the set. And I've seen you work that magic time and time again. Yes. Um, when you were talking about some of the tools and the people and the resources that you've relied on, what what are some of the tools that you use uh, to enhance the client or the partner relationship? Uh, a lot of the tools are listening. I mean, there's the there's the interpersonal tools, right? So I think you know, relationship, investing in the relationship, really listening and caring about understanding what they're trying to do. Um, I think also being direct and compassionately honest is maybe one of the tools I haven't thought of, I haven't thought of these as much as tools, right? I want to I want to also sure. talk about the like the platforms and the tech and yeah, the you yeah. know uh -huh. those tools. But I actually do think that on trying to understand what my client, what the organization is trying to do and being compassionate but honest with them about what I think my profession, my tools, video and cameras and, and making things that you see and hear on a screen, that, that we're translating all of what we know into a way we think is going to be successful mm. for what they're trying to do. And so, so much of it is needing to get to a point of understanding that because if I can't get 
an understanding of that. If I can't use my interpersonal skills, listening and sort of refining and, and asking good questions, then, you know, we could make a cool video, but it just might not. In fact, it probably won't really land as well if we're just taking what they tell us on the surface and then trying to just execute that. Because I'd say a lot of times if we just did what our clients asked us to do, mm. it wouldn't be successful. Mm -hmm. And I say that respectfully that most of them also then say, well, we're not the experts. We don't know how to, we're not filmmakers. Mm. And so they don't necessarily know how to take their idea and make it work, especially within whatever budget they have. You know, if you have enough money, you can probably make any of their ideas work. Like we, you know, we love to say that's love that idea, but um, we're not Hollywood or you probably don't want to pay Hollywood prices mm -hmm. um, for this project. And so we tend to work with, um, you know, modest, reasonable budgets. We're not we're not typically working in the commercial realm. At times when I talk to colleagues who do, it's tempting because the, the budgets are so much higher, but the, the, the nature of it, the complexity, the stress, um, mm -hmm. the cost benefit of it may, for me is, it, it might be worth it, but I, I think a lot of times I'm happier with sort of more moderate budgets and clients who are much, uh, much more straightforward to work with. So yeah, I'd say for me in terms of interpersonal tools, it really is, um, just being interested in them and, and curious and caring about what they're trying to do mm -hmm. and then trying to figure out how to be of service. So, you know, tools beyond that, I'm a big spreadsheet person. So <laughs> Google, Google sheets, uh, oh. is one of my favorite tools. I like to keep things simple Hasa, you've, well, you've both worked with me. And so my starting point is a spreadsheet mm -hmm. and just break it down. So we've, we've created some templates around that. And then, you know, sometimes we've worked on other platforms with clients, mm -hmm. but oftentimes that that's either a learning curve for them. Mm -hmm. That's sure. too much to try to get them to understand, or then it's also a learning curve for us and you know i have a few people on my team that you know they're not always eager to jump on some client platform and try to figure that out you know mm, yeah you know we do what if we need to but yeah i've i've had experiences where i've had to use basecamp and then i feel like i'm maybe fumbling my way through their platform i'm probably maintaining my own project management platform separately because we have our own system right. so so yeah, it's, I try to keep things, I don't know if agnostic's the right word, but just real simple. And I've, I've leaned into more of just shared Google Docs and Google Sheets because it's kind of the most simple and universal thing mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. And we do use Asana, which is mm -hmm. you know our project management system, but I think we've not really tried to have our clients be part of that because it's usually something that confuses them more sure. than mm -hmm. helps. Mm -hmm. That's a really good insight into the process. And I think it's really great that you laid all of that out because especially if you're starting out, you don't necessarily realize that there are all these, you know, these things outside of, you know, 
the artistic technical software that you're probably going to have to have to engage with. Like I've learned so much about using Excel spreadsheets from Donald and from my collaborators. I never thought I would have to, you know, get into working with data and, and formulas to help keep things um, as streamlined and, and clear as possible. So I think that's a really, it's a really good insight for somebody who, you know, might not realize those sort of technical pieces that go into that client management process. Um, I'm curious to, you know, what happens when you run into, you know, a little bit of friction or, you know, a snafu with a client, like, you know, whether it's a missed communication or, or whatnot, how do you navigate those, those little quirks of the relationship? Well, I get regular practice at that because the nature <laughs> of doing creative work, uh, definitely with film and video, uh, is you're going to run into snafus, frictions, things that didn't go the way that the client thought or we thought. Mm -hmm. It's it's inherent. It's it's going to happen on many, if not most, projects. We have like a, a Chewbacca nice. off in the background, yeah. oh, <laughs> um, and. Yeah, like this. Like you're, you're gonna, you know, <laughs> right. we're gonna be on set trying right. to record a documentary, yes. and all of a sudden, some sounds gonna come from out of nowhere, mm -hmm. and we're gonna have to figure out what to do with it. So, you know, I try to be <laughs> as I'd say there's there's two strategies I think that I've tried to to to, to employ with with things like that. Is one try to deal with it directly, quickly. Don't let things fester or snowball, um, build momentum. You know, with filmmaking, I think a lot about good momentum. You really want to get things rolling, have a good concept, and build that momentum and keep it going till the project's done. And so, if something's taking you off course, you want to nip that in the butt right. real quick because yeah. then that momentum will start to mm -hmm. to go in in a bad direction. But so I, I try to be very honest. I try to be very direct. Again, humble, compassionate. Um, you know, depends on the situation. Sometimes you're in situations that are very politically sensitive. Yeah. Client, maybe they did something that they didn't realize was going to cause problems internally yeah. uh, yeah. or externally, or they changed their mind, or they didn't <laughs> understand what you know I thought I'd communicated, or vice versa, and so. You know, knowing that, you know, if if you are direct and honest and kind hearted about it, that's about the best I can do. And then try to come up with some resolution to move forward. Right. And um, and so, yeah, it really is uh, trying to to preempt those situations. And when they do arise, uh, really just. Um, address them as quickly as possible. And then the second side of that is the stress that it puts on you right. when you know that things aren't quite right. Mm -hmm. And that's probably one of the most important things that I've worked on in these, you know, 20 some years of being a cr creative professional <clears throat> is when as soon as you find out that something is gone wrong or maybe is going wrong or has changed and that there's friction, there's tension. Well, my natural response is anxiety. And, <laughs> and when I was younger, I wouldn't be able to sleep. Uh, I would stress out about the situation until I finally was able to resolve it to whatever extent that, that it could be. And obviously that's 
not a great feeling. That's exhausting. It, it doesn't help anyone. And over time, I would learn that, well, you know, eventually we usually pretty much always figured it out. Right. You know, it didn't always turn out the way either side would like, but we would figure it out, move on and continue doing the creative work. And fortunately, in my line of work, it isn't life and death stakes. It's sure. it really is trying to create, you know, things that express something that are more um, ephemeral or out in the world in a way that's not the stakes aren't as high. And so I think maybe that helps with that. But I, I when things go awry, I try not to actually react too much to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I've gotten better at it. So when I know something you get that email that you don't want to get right before you go to bed. Don't check your email right before bed. I've learned is um, is to just go. You know what? It it's we will figure it out. We will have direct communication. I will be compassionate. If I need to err on the side of being more generous than I think, I usually try to do that because I I value the relationship. I value my uh, lower you know. Blood pressure, uh, and so, <laughs> so yeah, and and just trusting that you know, I, I fortunately have gotten to the point where the studio, myself, we have enough work, we're doing well enough that I don't have to fight over every nickel and dime. So if it's a nickel and dime that's gonna, you know, make this client happy, that that I need to say, sure, we'll do another revision. It's mm. not in the contract, and we mm -hmm. should charge you more. Mm. Um, and, and finding a way to tactfully have those conversations. Mm. Um, I think it's important to make sure that your clients do know how you value your time yeah. and your work. You know, I, early on in my career, I would say yes too much to too many requests. Mm -hmm. And and that's not sustainable in a healthy way over, over the long term. So I've been doing the work long enough to know, yeah, you've got to find a, a balance for yourself. So that you can continue to do this work. And for me, as I right now, I'm talking to potential new clients. Mm -hmm. I'm not dreading that work. I'm excited to start on that and, mm -hmm. you know, trust that we can navigate whatever's to come in a way that's going to feel, mm -hmm. I think, good and positive and be productive. That last point, I think, is so important about, you know, really managing your time and making sure that, you know, you're not saying yes to everything. Like keep your, uh, keep your sanity intact. And most importantly, keep your creative mojo, you know, for lack of a better word intact. Cause when you overload yourself, um, it's really easy to kind of build up that, those feelings of anxiety and that, that sort of inner turmoil that, you know, will will creep into the work. So I think that's a, it's a good point to put some stars next to. Mm -hmm. And I think you're bringing up a word that I haven't heard from our other guests, the the word compassion. Yes. And you've said it a few times. And I think about how much as uh, as a creative, you we do have to extend that. Mm -hmm. We do have to uh, reach out sometimes because this, this product that we uh, offer is so squishy. There's no defined lines to it. Right. And so I, yeah, I'm going to hold that yeah. and take that with me. So thank you for that one. Absolutely agree. Shall we talk about what makes these labors worth it? What, what is that sort of pot of gold at the, at the end of Donald's rainbow here and how, how is that manifested? Um, I guess kind of to kick that off, you know, what's been a memorable project for you after, you know, all these years of, of working in film? 
well, the pots of gold, sometimes they're pots of gold, right? So there's, <laughs> there's some clients where, you know, there's a nice budget, right? Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, spectrums, right? I think, I think there are probably a lot of those uh, where some projects, it's more appealing because it's a good paycheck mm. and maybe the work's not ex- as exciting. We tend to veer on the other end of that spectrum, which is work that we find meaningful. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we get paid, I feel, fairly and professionally for that work. And we've found enough nonprofits and um, different organizations, institutions, a lot of education uh, mm. initiatives and efforts and and projects that they have enough funding that they value video and they um, know that that's part of what their campaign or whatever they're, whatever they're working on, they, they know that's an important tool, an important way to tell the story and, and share the message of what they're doing. And so, yeah, I think for us, obviously getting paid professionally in those pots of gold is part of that. But then, you know, it's all the... The work that our clients are doing for us oftentimes is part of the reward as well. So we're getting brought in, hired and paid to do work to help advance causes we care about. Mm. And to me, that's that's like a, an extra bonus on top of getting paid to do the work. And so, you know, I, I came out of some nonprofit background. I was, you know, a director of a nonprofit for four years in the arts and culture world. And so my network was very much tied into a lot of nonprofit leaders and a lot of arts and culture. Mm-hmm. And so as I started to build up my studio and my client base and you you have word of mouth uh, as people talk. And then I also think, I don't know if there's another term, I'm sure there's a really simple term for it, but you know, there's word of mouth and then there's people would just see the work yeah. and then they'd want one of those. Right. Mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, you know, what word of I, like, it's, you know, <laughs> yeah, sure. sight of I. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so yeah, as, as our work started to, we had more work that we were producing. Um, it really expanded out. So we do a lot of work in the arts and culture worlds and that's rewarding and gratifying myself and my small team that I get to work with. Mm-hmm. We're artists. I think many, if not most People in the creative professions Mm -hmm. come to it because they're interested in being artists and being obviously creative. And so, yeah, so for us to get to work in that field versus something like the automotive industry Mm -hmm. or chemical industry or some something else that's outside of that that field. Um, So to us, it's it's rewarding, you know, on that on that level. So, yeah, we've gotten to do projects with a number of artists. Mm-hmm. Um, those are really usually <laughs> rewarding, although challenging in their own ways. Sure. And and then, yeah, actually, and also a lot of small businesses, which is what I am, right? Mm-hmm. And so I identify and relate to some of my clients as small business owners. And so those relationships um, have been really rewarding. I, I have a bunch of clients that I'm friends with, mm-hmm. and that's not a goal. I wouldn't have thought when I started out that my goal is to be friends with my clients. <laughs> right. In fact, it sounds like that's probably a bad mm. goal. Like yeah. you probably shouldn't okay. set out to try to be friends with your clients. <laughs> it's too squishy. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it it really has played out that you know you connect with um, certain people obviously differently, and when you work on projects and you get to know each other over time, that 
that can really lead to um, you know future projects. And you know, one one of my clients, you know, I've now seen them through multiple different phases of mm-hmm. their own careers. Um, so cool. But yeah, one of my clients uh, took me on a trip to Darjeeling. They do organic tea, oh, right? Arbor yeah. teas. And, you know, I got to know them when I ran the film festival and they came on as a sponsor and that was, you know, wonderful. And we got to know each other. And then when I had my video studio up and running, they wanted some video. And so we started to work together in that way. And then when they knew they were going out to one of their big, um, you know, tea farm, tea suppliers out in Darjeeling, uh, they asked if I was interested in coming and making a film about it. And so that was... That was a pretty unique and different than what I usually do, but uh, yeah, a very memorable, obviously, mm-hmm. experience and very successful in terms of what we ended up creating. We created more of a short documentary mm-hmm. of this organic tea farm, you know, in the mountains of of India, and ended up submitting it to film festivals. Mm-hmm. It won like an honorable mention, and it wasn't. Oh what I would have ever even pitched sure. like, Hey, fly me out to this yeah. thing and let's make a film that wins awards. But it, yeah, it, it, um, you know, again, it sort of organically, yeah. I guess, yeah. uh, <laughs> developed from that relationship and yeah. And I mean, for me, it's, it is rewarding to, to have those meaningful relationships mm-hmm. to advance the work of things we care about and then, you know, be able to have a viable business that, pays other creative people yeah. to do good work. Absolutely. Well, it really makes the work worth it too. I love the way you sort of contextualized how, you know, your your work in philanthropy and with nonprofits has sort of just blossomed into these like really, you know, amazing client relationships and just opportunities for you to learn, I'm sure. I mean, you get to go to India and you get to be there among the people that are producing this product and you learn about that culture and that lifestyle and all of these things that infuse that product. And so it, it becomes this sort of, I don't know, almost a, a journey of knowledge in a way, in addition to being, you know, something that you're doing as, as a career and as a job. And, and, you know, obviously going off to a, another country and getting flown out there sounds very exciting. And, and it sure. was, um, in many ways it was, um, but I guess I get as excited to go to like the recycling facility down the road or, <laughs> you, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were hired to ride a, a city bus and, right, yeah. you know, and so for me it's, yeah, it's, it's exciting to go into different places I wouldn't have a reason mm-hmm. or access to and doing documentary type work you know a lot of what we do is kind of in between both documenting what what organizations people companies are doing and promotional work outreach um yeah my my cross-section now of this community is is fascinating Mm -hmm. over 10 11 years i can go around town anywhere and i've probably filmed i filmed in this location we're in (laughs) for one of my clients earlier this year and it was it was one of the coolest venues, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Um, it, it was we knew it would probably be a really great setting, and they were really kind and let us come in, set up, and film an interview in here. So yeah, it's over time. I just have a very unique uh, experience of my community because I've learned about invasive species mm. because I did a film, and so 
uh, some of my friends probably get a little annoyed because as, as we hang out, I probably have some story about a video I did about something that Are we, we encounter. Are we talking about trees of heaven right now? I feel I'm, like I'm you're here. skirting around <laughs> it, but I can't really. <laughs> exactly. You know, you could pick one of many topics, but yes, trees of heaven is a passion. I'm sorry. Project. That's a sore spot, I'm sure. No, no, no. It's uh, it's an important subject. It is. You know? People I don't see know. Them. People don't, don't know. know. I don't uh, know. I hope that was new to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trees of heaven, look it up. Alanthus, uh, <laughs> very invasive species of tree that uh, I think a thousand of them have been trying to grow in my yard. And oh somehow your yard is immune. Next door. I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm also, I, I come from a family of gardeners and I am the anti-gardener. Like if you want something to not thrive, bring it into my house or my uh, property and I will ensure that it will not grow. Maybe they so know. Maybe that's, the trees are like Yeah, that. they're just, like, stay away from Yen. She's, yeah, you're bound to die on her property. So, yeah. But yeah, you know, I, I do think... Uh, is in terms of knowing yourself, I mean, that's also, I'm, I'm somebody who's interested in, um, the internal, the, the introspective aspects of what it means to be mm. a person and how I relate to the world and to myself. So I'm very interested in film as a tool, as a reflective, um, medium for us to see ourselves, to see others. Yeah. And so I think coming into this work, into doing client work as somebody who is inherently, I'm definitely like wired as like a documentary filmmaker. Right. I'm, I could have a hundred different documentary ideas. I'm so interested in things and exploring them through a film, through, through using camera and how you could, you know, try to tell that story or, or get at the essence of something. Um, so for me, it's, it's been such a affirmation of, sort of my own nature that I love, you know, the relationship uh, with different kinds of people, variety of different projects. I'm really curious about what's going on mm -hmm. in the world. Like a couple of weeks ago, I went out to the self-driving M city mm, park so cool. for a, for a gig. And I've never been in that world. That's not my world at all. I'm not, you know, tech science engineering. I'm not even that much of a car person, but then I was just fascinated by this little fake city built for the, you know, autonomous vehicles to be tested. And so, so yeah, you know, knowing more about your own nature and, and for me, the kind of work I do, it's very much an extension of that. It doesn't often feel like I'm working when I'm mm -hmm. on projects yeah. because it just feels like stuff I'm interested in doing. And I feel very fortunate because I've had jobs, uh, you know, for many years when I was younger that, I went to that I was trying to just get through every day and there were jobs that were jobs that you were clearly there because you needed the paycheck. Um, and so, so the more that I've understood what makes me tick and what I'm really interested in. Yeah. I've, I'm somebody who very much, uh, has followed that path into believes in my own sort of intuition and, mm. and trying to just you know, follow those passions, even though it might not logically make sense, uh, trust that if it's something I really care about and do my best and, you know, also at the same time, try to be opportunistic and see when there's a job opening at that place that you love to volunteer, or yeah. there's an opportunity to take on a pro bono project. Um, mm. you know, I've gotten a lot of <clears throat> opportunities and jobs, whether it's a contract or a job job that I was an employee by volunteering 
and helping out with something at an organization I cared about. Uh, I even had one, one client I got because I showed up at an event. I filmed it without getting hired. I just thought it was cool. And I showed up and filmed it. And then I said to this uh, organization, Hey, I've got some amazing footage of your events. Would you want some cool thing? Would you want a two, three minute thing of that? And they were very interested. And so I got ended up getting hired to edit it. So ideally, I would have been hired to film it mm -hmm. and edit it. But as I was starting out, I just followed, you know, something I was really interested in. And the more that you are knowledgeable, passionate about something, mm -hmm. the more it helps you make a good creative product about it. You know, yeah, that yeah. passion, that interest, that curiosity, often, whether obviously or just you know, somewhere in there, it, it usually, um, I think, helps support quality work. I feel like you just gave us our tactical takeaway that for the day. It. That was really brilliant. That was perfect. I think we can, <laughs> we can go right to hell. Because, yeah, yeah. I, I could even see that being sort of a, a snippet. Because how many times have, you know, I kind of have been asked by particularly younger people, like, how did you, how do you break in? How do you, you know, get a career? How do you get those jobs? And I think you sort of encapsulated at least your experience with it perfectly, where it's like, there was something you were excited about, you presented the work, and it opened up this other opportunity for you. So it's, it's almost about, I know it's super, you know, cliche and cheesy, but almost just seizing the day in a way, you know. Oh, yeah. Do the work that you want to be paid yeah. for. Show show the worth. You're building mm -hmm. the portfolio mm -hmm. and you're already doing it. Exactly. So, so yeah. Yeah. And I, I've seen that play out for sure with myself, with friends, colleagues, mm -hmm. that the more work you do, the more of that kind of work mm -hmm. you're likely to do. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, I, I've only done one wedding video and uh, I knew that if I did more of that, I would do more of that because people, that. Uh -huh. you know, especially if you get good at it, which you would hope you would. And so, yeah, so the, I'm, I've, I'm glad that we work with a lot of arts and culture, a lot of nonprofits, a lot of philanthropic um, mm. causes and social driven organizations and companies, because that's the work we're putting out in the world. That's the work people are seeing and when they really catch and they're really great, then we get asked to do more of that kind of work, which mm -hmm. is the kind of work we want to keep doing. So, so yeah, sometimes you might have to pro bono it or volunteer um, if you're in a position that you can do that. And, you know, again, I'd say the first couple of years running my studio, purely me doing everything, uh, not sure what my process was, how to get clients and you know, taking whatever scraps from friends who were too busy, right? So networking. Um, yeah, it it really was um, trying to just put out as much quality work as I could, even if I wasn't getting paid or wasn't getting paid as much as I needed to, to, mm. to make a living. And so, yeah, it's, it's tough when you're, when you're, you know, obviously trying to make a living at something to find that balance. And a lot of creative people I know have a teaching gig and the teaching gig gives them stability. It gives them a paycheck. Sometimes it gives them tenure and they've mm -hmm. got, you know, total stability. But I'd say in the film world, a lot, a lot of my friends teach mm. and I have taught a couple of times, but I've never had a teaching gig as my, my primary mm. foundation. And so then you're, having to be very successful as a business owner, as a right. practitioner of getting contracts and knowing how to 
write them so that they're, you know, easy to get signed and move things forward and get mm -hmm. projects finished. And, you know, we have a client right now who's, you know, lovely, you know, part of a big organization, I'd say very bureaucratic. And it's a pretty simple, short project that's not one of our high paying projects, but we just can't get it finished and trying to like, how do we get them across the finish line? And so we get paid, like right. keep it, how do we keep it moving? And so, yeah, so I've, you know, as somebody who learned and studied so much of how to edit, how to film lighting and audio, and there's so many components of filmmaking, as you know, Hafsa and Yen as well, that, that I have so much more to learn just to be a talented, accomplished seasoned filmmaker. But then step aside from that, I also have had to and and enjoyed learning how do I do my bookkeeping, yeah. how do I do my contracting, mm -hmm. my invoicing and client management. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I do think, you know, again, that's a, a focus of today. I value that. I value the relationship. And we've had many clients for years. And I, I think that's a really good sign that we're doing something right because, um, yeah, again, they like working with us. We like working with them. Mm -hmm. We're creating value together. And, you know, each time we work on a new project, it's, it's good to sort of check in. It's sort of like, I think, healthy friendships or healthy, mm -hmm. you know, partnerships uh, in life outside of work is, you know, having those sort of points where you check in like, hey, are we good? You know, like, is there anything we need to, to, to work on? And so, yeah, I'm somebody who values the interpersonal side of things. And I yeah. think that that's helped out in, in my field. I do try to soak up as much from my friends, from colleagues, from other creative professionals like you, Yen and Hasa. I mean, I've gotten to work with both of you and I listen, I learn and I feel like I have so much more to learn. So I try not to be too fixed in my own ways or think I've got it figured out um, mm -hmm. because I think there's always ways in which I can probably make some adjustments and, and hopefully make the next project go even a little more smoothly, be a little more successful. Um, because yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough to work through the creative process with others mm -hmm. who may or may not know what what you're doing yeah where to begin yeah. mm -hmm. would you have any homework for our listeners like what's one sort of you know little thing after they listen to this episode you know in addition to the tactic that they can chew on uh related to i guess developing clients yeah. or mm -hmm. yeah um you know i actually i i do i would say that for me i was able to go through a process called eos entrepreneurial operating system mm. and it is one system of probably many right and a friend of mine we were able to to barter and he was able to have me go through kind of a more of a strategic and planning process with that so you know that's not probably going to be something most listeners can can access but um i would say that some of the things i took away from that that really really served me were things like writing out what are the qualities, what are the five top qualities of the clients you've had the most success with or that you want to have the most success with? What are the type of projects you're going after, the type of clients you want to work with? 
And what are those qualities? Because then when you talk to somebody who says, hey, I want a poster, I want a video or, Mm. you know, I have something that you might be able to help me with. You can have something to to reference to make sure that this has a lot of those ingredients. Or if they don't, you're, you're going into it knowing that. And when later it doesn't go well, which <laughs> I'd say um, may be more likely, right? So the fewer ingredients uh, that it has that you you value, the less likely it's probably going to be a great project for you um, that you can learn from that. And so, yeah, I'd say at this point that served me really well because I often know that okay, this has fewer of those ingredients. I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to see, and I'm going to try to get it, you know, to the promised land, get it to this great place and avoid those pitfalls. But yeah, my intuition has gotten better and better and better over time. And usually you just say, oh, I knew this would probably go the way it is. And, you know, and some, some projects just are are tougher to get through for everybody because it's maybe not as good a fit. So the more you really know the types of projects, the type of clients, you're going to do your best work. They're going to appreciate you. That's, that's really valuable if you can go after more of those because everybody's, everybody's much happier in the long run. Love that. Mm -hmm. I think that's our homework. That, I mean, it's very similar to what we (laughs) had written up anyway. So so that's perfect. Well, thank you so much, Donald. Um, This has been fantastic. I'm very confident our listeners are going to get a lot out of this episode. And um, yeah. Oh, this has been fun. Um, On the next episode, we'll have guest Lynette Lau, who is the principal and founder of Invisible Engines. If you liked this podcast, be sure to heart, like, and subscribe to Cadence wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Cadence underscore pod, or check out our episodes and more at thecadencepod.com. We are proudly based in Ypsilanti, Michigan, reporting from the Cozy Podcast Studio at Venue by 4M. We hope that wherever you're creating from in the world, you are marching to your own cadence. Thank you for listening. Cheers.